On this episode of China Unscripted, the free press in Hong Kong are under attack. Literally. China's legal warfare and a Chinese glass bridge comes crashing down. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesha. And this podcast is sponsored by Drake Illusion. Drake Illusion is a software company that offers a cloud computing solution to manage all aspects of your business, accounting, product management, inventory, and more. Drake Illusion ERP system is capable of replacing your QuickBooks and provides a solution that can grow with your business. An enterprise solution for your small or mid-sized company is now available at your fingertips. So there's been a lot of uh, news coming out of Hong Kong lately. You might have heard of the Epic Times newspaper. In Hong Kong, it's one of the few pro-democracy newspapers left after Beijing passed the national security law, which threatens press freedom. Last week, a reporter for the Epic Times was attacked on the street in broad daylight. People in cars parked outside her apartment had been watching her for weeks. She believes those people and the thug who beat her up last week are connected to the Chinese Communist Party. She joins us today to briefly talk about what happened. Sarah Leong is the vice chief editor for the Epic Times in Hong Kong. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to meet you. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about the the attack you suffered. So tell us what happened on the day the thug beat you up with a bat. It's 11.30. It's a sunny day. And a lot of people around. It's near to and Hong Kong's open university. It's not so quiet place. Some, somebody killed a long stick. And he just, just uh, he didn't anything. I don't know the person. He strained to me, and uh, he just uh, hit my legs very brutally. Ah, oh, jeez. And so what's been the reaction from the Hong Kong people to all of this? Um, it's, it shocked uh, the whole Hong Kong society because, um, you know, the reporter has been assaulted. Uh, this is a big news. So a lot of re- reporters go to the hospital and uh, uh, interview me. Uh, they ask me whether um, what's my feeling. I just tell them I won't be signed. That's all. Why do you think you were targeted? I think uh, because the uh, because I'm a report time reporter and uh, I I go very front line and uh, still interview a lot of important uh, person in Hong Kong. Uh, I have the. Okay, I have a YouTube channel as quite popular in Hong Kong, and uh, maybe they feel nervous about that. And uh, in push times, it's, um, uh, it's quite hard to say. Uh, they tell the truth. Uh, and, uh, well, it's critical of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party, often, they don't want the people to know the truth. Wow, well, keep up the great work. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty intense. I mean, it makes me feel uh, like I'm not that courageous. You know, on this show and China Uncensored, we've been standing up to the Chinese Communist Party for like 10 years. Got to say, though, if somebody looks at me a little little crookedly, I'm I'm done. Like you run away. I'm done with the show. Oh, you're done with the show. I was like, what? No. So so what you're saying is we're not going to go back to Hong Kong. I'm easily intimidated. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's kind of crazy that the fact that like, you know, she talks about, um, you know, being followed or like, like I've seen her talk about uh, times about being followed or being spied on mm-hmm. and just it's crazy to think that, oh, well, that's just kind of like what it is like now to be a journalist. That's in Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember... Um, remember that guy Simon Chen who was working for the British consulate? Oh yeah, and then he got kidnapped when he was in uh, Shenzhen in mainland China. Yeah, and charged and, like, with like prostitution, and tortured. Oh, yeah. No, you mean like charged with like with with like soliciting, soliciting or something. Right. And he, when he came back to Hong Kong, like he was like saying he was like constantly being watched by people. This is before yeah. the national security law. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's terrifying. They've got so many resources the communist party resources to like monitor people it's just like and that's just the part you see there's also just the mass surveillance through cameras that we're not seeing i'm like depending on what happens to hong kong i think that they could kind of bring that type of xinjiang like security state thing in i wouldn't be surprised you know where there's just like a massive police presence and there is a type of cultural genocide the communist party has been waging on hong kong for a long time like trying to eliminate cantonese as a language and i'm sure there'll be other efforts to kind of eradicate any unique culture of hong kong uh well like that national security day thing that in schools right national security education day yeah. where they give mm-hmm. children like they can play with the guns and the grenade launchers and so fun yeah well i mean it's it's really I can't imagine what it's like to be there right now. You know, you're in a place where you, you're right on the border with mainland China, but yeah. it's always been, you know. On the other side, that's East Berlin. Yeah, exactly. And now it's kind of like. East Berlin's coming to you. It's basically like you're in the mouth of the dragon. Except now the dragon has shut its mouth and is chewing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but can the dragon crush the spirits of the people of Hong Kong? And if Sarah Leong has any indication, no. I couldn't believe that her first reaction to like, oh, uh, somebody has just hit me with a, a baseball bat 10 times. I can't wait to report on this. Let me report on this. Uh, like that's. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's the spirit of, of Hong Kongers. Like they just want to like let the world know how evil the CCP is. And they make enormous sacrifices in order to do that, even at their own, you know, great expense. Well, except for all the Hong Kongers who are quislings. OK, there are many of those, too. Well, I think there are always going to be the people who say things like, well, it's we need stability like, we need safety. The stability that comes with having thugs beating people up with baseball bats. But, you know, that's only because they were, uh, you know, troublemakers. They were troublemakers. If you didn't do anything wrong, like, if you didn't report on things the Communist Party didn't like, then, hey, you wouldn't be a target. Yeah. I, I wonder how, how much of a follow-up the Hong Kong police will give to this. Yeah, probably as much of a follow up as they gave to remember like the white shirts, the white shirt guys beating up protesters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they they followed up by arresting the lady who made a documentary about how the police weren't there. You know, yeah, I see not good things happening for press freedom in Hong Kong. Yeah, the police follow up might just be a follow through with a baseball bat. Well, I mean, not baseball bats, but the Epic Times their printing shop was. 
like these guys went through with mm-hmm. sledgehammers a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, they've been targeted uh, viciously on multiple occasions. There was, I remember also last year or 2019, there was a fire incident too where people s- tried to set it on fire. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say that there's a lot of, you know, unhappiness with them from who, whoever it is. When people feel threatened, they lash out. That's that's true. It's been great to see uh, that, you know, like Anthony Blinken and U.S. lawmakers have actually specifically talked about what happened to Sarah to Sarah and have been saying condemning it. Yeah, I'm definitely glad to see the international community, you know, speaking out on Hong Kong in a way that I think a few years ago I wouldn't have imagined likely just because the like the willingness to speak out about Hong Kong issues is something that really reaches across political divides and reaches across international borders, reaches across professions, although not really the NBA. But other than that, you know, it's it's been, I think, pretty good. But that hasn't stopped the dragon from chewing on the people of Hong Kong. The metaphors are thick today. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so this was not the only thing that has happened in Hong Kong recently. Yeah, the... Uh... I mean, there's been so much. They officially passed that patriotic oath law where, you know, if you want to be a district counselor, you have to swear an oath. And it was it was previously that uh, sort of the higher ranking people in government had to do that oath. Yes. And they did. But then remember, there was a few years ago, people were disqualified for not saying the oath properly enough. Yeah. Uh, And so, like, this has been an issue for a long time. But. With this new law, which was put in place shortly after the Communist Party basically said, you're going to put this law into place, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's also ways to officially disqualify people from uh, office. Like, you're already in office. You've already sworn the oath. But if you do something like insult the flag, you know, you you could get disqualified. Or vague national security things. Yeah. Remember when we were in Hong Kong and there was like Hong Kongers hung up the Hong Kong flag, but instead of like the normal flower, it was like a bloody flower with like a petals, like the black bohemia thing. Black bohemia, yeah, Bo- bohemian, <laughs> <laughs> bohemia. Did I say it right? No, I think yeah. Well, it's, it's a the the thing. So any any district councilor that does something with that flag would be. Well, I don't think in trouble. that. Yeah, I don't. You know, not but that. It, it's so vague, like the things like national security. If you do anything to endanger national security, to promote independence, just a bunch of like really Colluding vague with things. with foreign forces. Yeah, like what does that mean? Does that mean talking to a official from another country? It could be definitely, I think, uh, well, that will, would definitely be one. Mm-hmm. Another one would definitely be maybe giving an interview to... Uh, media from a hostile to foreign us. force. Yeah, us. Or I'm sure they'd even find a way to, you know, qualify to that to like any Western media, right? Possibly. Um, It's a feature, not a bug mm, to yeah. have this type of vagueness, right? In kind of communist law, they do this on purpose so that they can basically adjust that to whatever they want to accuse you of. Is this better or worse than the days when they would just do whatever they wanted with no excuse? And now they sort of like make laws to do whatever they want. This is worse. And the reason it's worse is that when there's no laws, people from the West look at it and say, well, this is a lawless system. We can't work with them. 
what China has done now, what the Communist Party has done uh, over the last few decades is they've created this framework that appears to have rule of law and contracts and, and courts and, and treaties and all this stuff. But then the Communist Party just violates it, right? Or they violate the spirit of it. And so the problem, though, is that too many people in the West from rule of law countries like the U.S., uh, see China and say, well, okay, like we can have a deal with them. We can invest in China because if there's a dispute, they have a court system, we can resolve it, right? But like, that's not how it actually works in practice. It's only the appearance of it. And that's because so many of us are, are stupid. Uh, we, we- Guilty as believe, charged. Believe that's, that somehow it's going to work. So yeah, well, appearance of rule of law is worse. And then they have a specific excuse each time they go after an individual. I think, yeah, I mean, it's lawfare it is what it is. It is the weaponization of the law. And it's not just about violating it when they want to. They're actually kind of setting this system up to justify the things that they've done. You know, they start repressing the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, and then they slowly set up a system where now you retroactively make it legal mm -hmm. through, you know, different ways, legal mechanisms, things like that. And this kind of uh, policy extends pretty far, like the, the Coast Guard law that came out with recently that basically allows, they're giving justification for the Chinese Coast Guard to essentially take over disputed territorial waters in the South China Sea. Right. And and it gives them a, a, a legal justification to open fire if they're attacked. And then what what this does is because it's like, Oh, well, the Communist Party, the, the Chinese government has announced that there's this new law. And so everyone else should know not to mess with them because then they'll be, be able to open fire according to the law. The, it's, it's basically using it as an excuse, but it's an unjust law. It's a law that violates international treaties and whatnot. But like that doesn't matter because the, the law itself has been weaponized in this way. Well, this is part of how the Chinese Communist Party is dividing the world between, you know, liberal democracies and the authoritarian system they want to create, because it will get to a point where it's either like, you know, countries will be like, OK, yeah, we agree with how China looks at international law and whatnot. And it's just it the purpose is to divide the world. Like so when so the Communist Party will it'll be clear which countries are on China's side and which is part of the other side. Uh, yeah, you know, we we had a guest on last week, Tofi Saradine, who was talking about the, um, you know, when Belt and Road partner countries are dealing with China, they're typically signing an agreement that says if there's a dispute, uh, we agree that it will be resolved in a Chinese court, right? And like, if those countries are stupid, which presumably they are because they've signed a Belt and Road Agreement with China in the first place, uh, if they're stupid, they think that this gives them a pathway to resolve conflicts. But in fact, there's roughly zero chance of it being resolved in their favor because it's being done in a Chinese court and the Chinese courts are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. I don't know if that they think that it's going to work in their favor. I think it's probably that they had no choice. Right. Well, the choice they should have made was to not sign a Belt and Road Agreement with China. But once you've already crossed that bridge... I mean, I tend to blame these countries less because there is often an infrastructure problem in these places, right, where there's not really, they do not necessarily have the capacity to build the infrastructure themselves. And if they're not clear on what the Chinese Communist Party is, or what they're doing, 
they get kind of like wooed, right? Well, often the reason these countries don't have good infrastructure is because they're ruled by corrupt authoritarian governments, often with either communist or socialist leanings. So, you know, if they cleaned that up, they wouldn't be in that situation where they have poor infrastructure in the first place. And you wouldn't have like these dictators who are, when faced with money from the West that requires them to reform or CCP dollars, you know. Right. Look, I mean, maybe they're so beloved that they've just been elected to office, you know, for the last 30 years straight. People love it, them. It, mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. I mean, the the U.S. over the last few years has done more to uh, build alliances with some of these developing countries and uh, help work with them on funding. And I think that's to the U.S.'s credit because it does provide them another option that's not China. But the the problem, you know, as you point out, it's like a lot of these are these dictatorships and it's the Chinese Communist Party that specifically seeks out dictatorships to work with for the Belt and Road because it knows it's much easier uh, because you you only have to enrich a certain you know certain people and you're much more likely to get that deal. So it's it's kind of like there was already a divide, right? And the CCP just went after the the low hanging fruit. I mean, there's some exceptions, right? Like Italy, Greece. It's hard to understand why those governments are uh i it's pretty easy it's because they both got in trouble with the eu because of debt problems yeah that's also true and you know and maybe a lot of the people in those two countries for sure a lot of people in those two countries have socialist leanings uh and that leads them to to kind of look at china's you know socialist system as being like a really viable option and why not it just came out in Chinese state-run media, that 98% of people in China like what the government is doing. Wow. I mean, look, you know, a U.S. president would kill for those kinds of approval ratings. Hey, maybe they will. <laughs> you just uh, have to eliminate more than half of the country to get it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder about the 2%. Well, yeah. no, it's, it's... It's fake. Well, it's just like, you know, when Xi Jinping got... Uh, elected by the, uh, you know, National People's Congress. And there was what, like one One, person? One vote who who voted nay. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Probably Xi Jinping. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to do this. But this actually reminds me, uh, I I read this interesting, uh, this take on what propaganda is. I don't think this is entirely accurate, but it was was an interesting theory that uh, propaganda, like you you see something ridiculous, like 98% of the population approves of what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. Uh, And so like you might think, oh, that's laughable. Obviously, people won't believe that. That's not what the propaganda is about. The propaganda is there to be clear that it is propaganda. So people know this is what the government is doing. This is the lines they are drawing. Don't cross that. It's meant to remind you of who's got the sword over your head. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting way to look at it. And I think in many cases that is true because sometimes you, you'll hear like these, you know, the the propaganda mouthpieces of the Communist Party coming out with something like absolutely ridiculous, like, hey, Tibet's the happiest place in China. That might not be accurate because that's, uh, you know, geared towards the Western world. But yeah, like some of the things, some of the lines they come out with are just so unbelievably stupid. Like, why would anyone believe it? Well, the point is that they don't. It's 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 like you, it's it's the party speak. It's like, you know, you have to go along with it. Right. I mean, I, I think that for people inside China, it works 
better. I think for people in the West, what's much more insidious is the targeted disinformation where, uh, like this comes in many forms. Like one example is China will release some statistics which are made up, but done in a way that sounds reasonable and then get Western reporters to use those statistics. And like, yeah, they're like, yes, it comes from Chinese government, but like they still report it because they don't have any other source, right? The coronavirus is a good example. Like the number of people who've died or like whatever the statistics are. And so they they use uh, Western media to push specific uh, information, right? Or they'll help arrange an interview with someone to to push an, an idea and reporters will quote them. And maybe the reporter's like, oh, I don't want to be biased. I'll also interview someone else. But the fact is the Communist Party has snuck their person into that Western media report. And then that circulates around and around the Western media because everyone copies each other these days. And so that's the disinformation that pushes out, you know, and, and it's and it's not going to be perfectly in line with what the Communist Party wants, but it's enough so that it it generally is the main idea of what the party wants. Well, one thing I've been very impressed by is by how they've managed to essentially turn the conversation and a lot of these things into the, you know, convincing people to be afraid of angering China. Hmm. Like uh, when something comes out and they'll, you know, the foreign ministry spokesperson will react very harshly or something. And then you're kind of the headlines that come out are blah, blah, blah happened angering China, right? Yeah. And so you kind of train people slowly into being afraid of angering China. It's like a Pavlovian response almost. I'm thinking about uh, like before Trump took office, when he took the call with Tsai Ing-wen, he was getting criticized in the media because that would anger China. Yeah. Taiwan is a prime example of a lot of this stuff out there in the media being like, well, we can't do anything about Taiwan because we don't want to upset the status quo because then China might get angry and do something as if they're not already, you know, sending planes, military planes all the time into Taiwanese airspace and basically preparing to invade and having a huge psychological warfare campaign against Taiwan. I mean, I think this is also part of the psychological warfare campaign, the whole making people afraid of you know, helping Taiwan in any way. Well, so the Global Times uh, recently like talked about missile strikes on Australia if they do something silly like supporting Taiwan, like sending troops in. If China invades Taiwan, if Australia sends troops to defend Taiwan, Australia is going to get hit by the Chinese missiles. And that's that's exactly what you're saying. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's framing it like, oh, you know, don't a fight with China is going to be so bloody you don't even want to you don't even want to get involved just give up now interestingly there was a global times article that was called something like the US would lose a war yeah w- over taiwan that. and um i can't remember the guy's name but the person who wrote this article was a like retired marine really who is currently working in the pentagon in a civilian position and at first I was like, how the heck is he allowed to place an op-ed in the Global Times, mm-hmm. first of all, uh, which is, you know, a registered foreign agent or supposed to be a registered foreign agent in the U.S. Uh, and also it was just full of things that were kind of defeatist and about how the U.S. shouldn't get into it over Taiwan. It's not worth it. Uh, you know, it was just 
really odd to see this. And then also seeing in Western media, like somebody had written a op-ed in the New York Times recently that basically said the same thing, that called Biden's Taiwan strategy reckless. Mm-hmm. Because the the idea was that, you know, if we keep, you know, helping Taiwan and, and putting China in this tough situation, they're going to have to respond and we're going to, like we're like the U.S. is going to inflame the situation. Yeah, we just need to, you know, back off like like with Hong Kong, just back off and everything will be fine. Yeah, just let let China take Taiwan. China yeah. loves peace, yeah. according to the Global In Times. Global Times. Yeah, I mean, this country has its quizlings, too. It's just stunning to see that message come through on Chinese state run media and Western media. And you're kind of uh-huh. like, what's happening here? Why yeah. why is this now the thing that people are talking about? You know? That's the disinformation campaign at work. And it's very insidious. And like, you definitely don't see the opposite happening where like, you know, Chinese people are uh, writing op-eds that are anti-Chinese government in media that are published or available in China. No, because they're in prison. There you go. Well, that's, that solves that problem. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's kind of fascinating and horrifying to, to watch this happening, right? And you're like, are people noticing? Is, yeah. You know, is this going to actually influence people? Is this going to influence U.S. policy? Well, this is why we were, we were talking about on China Uncensored, the idea of like us creating like some kind of PowerPoint material or something to get people to actually sort of spread the word about China because American society needs to know about China. I All the time I, I, I meet people who just know nothing about Yeah, China. I mean, I'm not sure a PowerPoint is like the most engaging way to do it. But yeah, there's-, there's... Something. I like PowerPoint presentations. You're pretty good yeah. at them. I am. Thank you. I hate PowerPoint presentations. Do you, what, what kind of presentations do you like? Uh, really to sit through? Yeah. If, if your baseline is to sit through, <laughs> it's already we know. It's... You know, I worked in corporate America for many years. That will cure you of any love of PowerPoint presentations. Right. Well, I, I developed a lot of PowerPoints for the sake of training, like aspiring journalists. And so I used them to train people and I had to see results. So I developed them very differently than what you do in corporate America. So, you know, it's like you got to have a combination of like, information and like images that are striking and like splice it in with some videos and tell some stories you know it's like it's a different it's a different ball game people would pay for this kind of powerpoint advice and you're getting it for free only a dollar or more per episode on the china unscripted on china uncensored patreon yeah or the china unscripted patreon which you can you know patreon.com slash china unscripted so uh, That's true. That's yeah, I don't. True. We haven't really promoted that on the show, but we do have some some uh, patrons already. So anyway, thank you very much for that. Um, but yeah, so PowerPoint presentations are uh, a good way if you want to like, you know, talk to your school or talk to your office. Yeah, okay. or a hot date. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bring the PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I see that you've had a thrilling dating history, Chris. It's well, it's great. I ask someone out on a date, give them the the China rundown, and then the next day I get to ask somebody new a house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I get the word out quick. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And you you assume the first person is just too busy spreading the China news to other people to get back to you for a second. An date. activist activated. Yeah, there yeah. you go. 
I mean, I think we have joked about this, but I have really found myself, you know, in a party just talking to people about China. Yeah. Just, it's just, it happens. Yeah. I I talk to other people about China too, but it's mainly because I'm not a good listener. Well, you know, speaking of like how this propaganda gets used, uh, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party is on a huge propaganda push about Uyghurs. And now I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure where this falls in line with what I was saying earlier about propaganda, because some of the propaganda is just so unbelievable. It's like, I I can't imagine that they actually expect the West to swallow some of it, but it is, it is the latest, uh, probably one of the biggest propaganda issues for the Communist Party right now. Yeah. I saw a Global Times article the other day that was about, you know, how the West just ignores all of the festivals and happiness that's currently happening in Xinjiang. And the first line of the article was literally about how this uh, Uyghur guy was, you know, wearing traditional costume and a hat, dancing happily in the square to celebrate the end of Ramadan, you know? Hey, remember when we had the Uyghur on who tried to start a kindergarten for Uyghur children and was raped in prison for it? Yeah, you know, I mean... It's that that totally didn't happen. <laughs> what do they think? What prisons? It, yeah, I think what they, rape. They've definitely gone. I mean, he was probably a liar. That's that's the way they go for the Uyghur people who have come out and are, you know, talking about their experience mm-hmm. in these camps or prisons or detention, whatever. Wait, They're, but if all the Uyghur people are happy, why would any of them lie? They listen to foreign forces evil U.S. or terrorists. Yeah, Matt, isn't that just the basic thing that, of course, they're puppets? Of Western imperialism? Yeah, Yeah, you know. That must be. They're deceived. All the the Western imperialist propaganda that's allowed through the firewall into Xinjiang. Well, I mean, these are people who are now in the West, so obviously they've been co-opted. Right, of course. It's it's just almost too easy to to kind of come up with that type of answer. And I think this is why they they have these, even if nobody's going to really believe that everybody's happy at dancing, you have this, this is like the counter narrative that they have so that they can basically use that as, well, this is, you know, if you're, and then blame them, right? Blame the West mm-hmm. for, you know, not looking at what's really happening in China. Or they blame the West for the problems the West has. Like, no, don't talk about Uyghurs. What about... Well, so, like, in some posts I've made about what's happening in Xinjiang this week, like, there, there's been a bunch of people... There have been some people who have been said, like, well, what about U.S. support for Israel and what they're doing in Palestine? How is that any better than what's happening in Xinjiang? Well, well I mean... Israel's not putting people in concentration camps and using gang rape as a form of torture. I still remember this uh, this CGTN reporter standing in the middle of the square in Kashgar and talking about how she couldn't find any genocide. And we used that in an episode, but we didn't show the part in between where she basically said, I didn't find any genocide. Probably the U.S. is talking about genocide because, you know, the U.S. had a lot of genocide in their past. Uh, you know, how they treated the the like blacks and how they treated the Native Americans. And, you know, they probably feel that you have to have genocide to have a prosperous society. So they're just projecting that genocide onto China, which we don't have any genocide. Though it's funny when that kind of logic backfires in their propaganda. I'm thinking of, I think it was Thailand, 
where they were like something was happening and like and then they pulled like the whole what about your government and they were like we hate our government too yes it was the the whole milk tea alliance thing yeah where the thai people were kind of standing with taiwan and standing with hong kong and then the chinese uh you know 50 centers or you know like uh were coming back and being like well like your you know your king sucks and they're like yeah he sucks and <laughs> but it is a weird the weird logic puzzle where they're like well what about this this other bad thing it's like well both are bad you can say that the both can be true yeah like it's like you, you don't have to ignore like you know racial problems in the US to say the Chinese Communist Party is carrying out ethnic genocide in Xinjiang. Like, both things can exist. And I think the biggest difference is that, you know, whereas the Chinese Communist Party completely denies everything, the U.S. is addressing it, like, in the media, in the government, on social media. Like, like, it's a totally okay thing to talk about and address. And there's, like, steps being taken and laws being passed to look at historic injustices. And you can agree or disagree about the extent to which those have, you know, taken place. And there is that discussion in the U.S., which is another healthy thing that there is where there isn't there in China. There can be discussion. Yeah. And so, like, like, it's a completely, like, if you try to compare, you know, like, slavery in the U.S. to what's happening in, in Xinjiang, like, that framework is what the Chinese Communist Party wants because then, like, the U.S. has no leg to stand on. But the real framework for this is like, if there are problems in the U.S., they can be addressed because people are willing and the media is willing and the government is willing. Uh, and if the government's not willing, the, the, the media is independent and can push the government, right? And in China, you have none of those mechanisms because everything is under state control. I mean, I think the U.S. does have a leg to stand on. This is part of the, but the China wants, the Chinese Communist Party is trying to convince you that you don't have a leg to stand on. And this is what I tell my dates. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you at least buy them a nice dinner. No, I can't afford that. <laughs> Dollar pizza, that's the trick. Oh, um, my gosh. We should not start a dating advice channel. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be good advice. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, the worse the advice is, the more views we'll get. Wonder. But we'll also, the more lives we'll ruin. So it's a trade-off. Yeah, they probably just ruin, ruin them somehow themselves. Speaking of things crashing down to reality... How about that Chinese rocket that came crashing down? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to talk about the glass bridge that came crash. Well, it didn't. Lots of things are crashing. Uh, but once we cross that bridge. Uh, 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 it, that just reinforces my commitment to never get on a glass bridge my entire life. Yeah, All right, right, well, you, you, yeah you had already been committed to that. I so. wouldn't even stand on the edge of that bridge that was on that waterfall in Norway. Remember? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah that, I was that so didn't have any out. glass. It was just a normal Well, I mean, bridge. like, you could kind of see through the slats a little bit, but it was more the that- railing, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, it was more that I just freaked out by heights. It was it was very fun to, to sort of- Yeah, yeah but thanks. so China's got loads of these glass bridges, like these glass bridges over huge precipitous drops. So they're, they're tourist attractions. You yeah, know? like, there's, I know there was one that is, like, it's got, like, an LED floor or something. It's programmed to, like- start to look like it's cracking and make cracking sounds when people walk across. Oh, that's so hilarious. Oh. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of videos of people walking across and then like panicking and like, you know, grabbing onto the rails for their lives. 
Uh, it's a little less funny now that one bridge actually did break, and there and one guy was holding on for dear life. Yeah, it's creepy. The photos of him just like, just like hanging on, and there's no it's, glass. It's got to be like at least over a hundred feet drop. Yeah, it looked pretty. Seven miles. <laughs> Somewhere I mean, between 100 feet and seven miles. But, but actually the difference when falling between 100 feet and seven miles is is minimal, like in terms of the, what's going to do to you. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for true. that, Matt. You're welcome, Shelley. <laughs> Would you rather fall 100 feet or seven miles? Yeah. The, the, the problem with seven miles, right, is that basically you're not going to be able to breathe for the first part of it. So you'll like suffocate. And that's like an airplane is seven miles, right? So mm-hmm. there's no oxygen, it's freezing cold. So you'd rather drop 100 feet? I'd rather not get on one of those glass bridges in the first place, is my answer. That that wasn't part of the would you rather. Well, I don't have to play your stupid game, Chris. That's what my dates tell me. <laughs> I don't know why people don't like Twister with Chinese characteristics. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know either, except the look on Shelly's face right now. Sorry, I'm still stuck in my personal nightmare of falling either 100 feet or seven miles. Oh, yeah, you never gave me an answer. Yeah, no, I don't have an answer because I'm just frozen in horror. Okay. I thought you were frozen in horror because of what Chris and I were talking about. Yeah, don't start a dating channel. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Uh, yeah, so apparently like they like this bridge that shattered, there was all kinds of like... Like it was designed poorly and then there was like some construction issues and it's just like, you know, considering that, you know, China is a place where they, 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 they call something tofu construction, where there's cases of just mass corruption where, you know, money is siphoned off and you end up with buildings that just collapse because they're basically tofu. I mean, I it takes want to go across a glass like, bridge. Like an earthquake or in this glass bridge's case, a strong wind. A strong wind. Yeah. No. And so... I mean, I guess it was a miracle there was just one guy on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, really. Because yeah. there are there are pictures of like these glass bridges packed with people. Right. I mean, and there's also cases of bridges having collapsed with people on them or cars on them. So this is not like a you know a one-off phenomenon. It's unfortunately been common in China that just the bridge construction is. Not Remember up to par. when there was like that that string of like escalators breaking and people like getting chewed up by them. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, I feel like that's almost more terrifying for me than the glass bridge thing. Well, you yeah, certainly get on more escalators than glass bridges. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't know. Somehow my my fear, like I don't really have a big fear of heights, but like- You have a fear of escalators? No. Well, a fear of being ground up into paste. Yeah. I, it was- Basically, that's the fear. It's like- it's a different type of fear. And yes, technically, they weren't ground up into paste, but they were killed by grinding down. Oh, geez. Well. And this was happening. This is, there was like a while where this, like, a lot of this was coming out. Aren't you glad that we can't ever go to China? Or Hong Kong? Yeah. Well, Hong Kong construction's okay. That's true. Speaking of Chinese construction, how about that rocket that crash landed? Uh, a long march. It was a long march. You know, what's the problem, Chris? Other rockets crash land, too. What evidence is there that other out-of-control rockets are any more out-of-control than China's? Yeah, that's the defense. This is what we're talking about, about the propaganda, right? crazy pants. Right. I mean, 
Yeah, and I, and I think that the the point that like other countries' rockets do also have accidents. Like, yes, it happens, but China's was not like it wasn't so much an accident as it was like a design flaw through this kind of careless like not bother to add enough like booster rockets so that the trajectory could be changed should there be you know uh should it fall yeah out of orbit. what went wrong with this rocket is are things that like spacefaring nations have already figured out and there's a solution already in place to prevent something like this from happening they just didn't build it in. they just didn't they didn't care because china's in a rush to dominate the space race right and i think also like a lot of what china does is this kind of it's this kind of carelessness and like in terms of like leaving space junk right in orbit which is increasingly dangerous because you've got you know even like a screw orbiting the planet is you know it's traveling at like you know 17,000 miles an hour if we saw gravity and, yeah and so like even the tiniest thing can cause a major disaster because if that's going 17,000 and you know your space station is going 16,000 that's a a thousand mile an hour screw is like a very dangerous thing, right? And so, for all for all these reasons, for for because physics, right? Because science, space junk is super super dangerous, and the Chinese Communist Party does not seem to care how messy they're leaving space. And pretty soon, you know, after a hundred years, like no one's going to be able to leave the you know atmosphere because it'll be too dangerous. No, they're just inventing a space vacuum. Shelly wins. Yeah. I, didn't didn't space balls have something <laughs> like that? That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's the technology we need. Yeah. But it's really scary that China is is building a a space station. Like this rocket that went out of control and could have crashed anywhere on the planet was carrying parts for the Chinese space station, which they're building because they're banned from the International Space Station, because China's space program is run by the Chinese military. The same people that like to Crush students and tanks. Oh, that was years ago, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, now they just do it through lawfare. <laughs> or uh, escalators. Uh, oh, God. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, like, think of like, well, one, like you were mentioning, Matt, the debris that could be created in space from China doing a s- bad job building a space station. And I'm like, what if that crashes down on people's heads? That'd be worse than just a rock. Well, I mean, statistically speaking, it's more likely that it would just crash into the ocean somewhere, given how much of the planet is covered in water. But statistically so- speaking, eventually every possibility becomes certain. Yeah, but like, okay, so 75% of the Earth's surface is water, something like that, right? And then of the land portion, only a small part is populated. But yeah, if you do it enough times, you're going to hit populated areas eventually. And the scary thing, I think, is just that you have no control. And as the space stations or other, you know, things in space become bigger and bigger, you just end up with, like, imagine, you know, like 50 years from now, the Communist Party is building like a Star Trek size spacecraft, right? Like, Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm with but, you. But, but I like Star but Trek. It's, but it's, it's made by the same construction company that did the glass bridge. <laughs> uh-huh, well, right, and so like pieces of it start falling off, right, and then they they just strike anywhere. So yeah, so it's it's pretty dangerous. Well, more dangerous for the people who are in the Star Trek spaceship that's just coming apart. Yes, well, I don't imagine the Communist Party would care all that much about those people either. 
realistically, what would come before that is China using its spacefaring technology to destroy U.S. satellites and GPS satellites, and then... That's the real space war. Yeah, and then China... All we have is China's version of GPS. Oh, uh, yeah, Beidou navigation system. Yeah, that'll work great for the U.S. military. Mm. Space war, Space warfare has already begun, and the U.S. is behind. Yeah, I mean, like, as as funny as it sounds to for the U.S. to have the Space Force, like, it's actually a super legit idea that should have been started like 20 years earlier. And, yeah. you know. I mean, 20 years earlier. Yeah, okay. I think that's, I mean, that's when Neil deGrasse Tyson first proposed it, right? In the early 2000s. I mean, I'm not saying it was originally his idea could have come before that too, but like I've heard him talking about it before. So, but anyway, like, yeah, like China has, is is weaponizing space. And this is this is not the falling debris part. This is just the like, the general weaponizing of space. Well, Matt, I mean, I think you're being a little unfair here because all these other countries, like the U.S. and Russia, have all this had all this time to like put their space station in there. Are you saying that China can't build their own space station? We're talking about space equity. Well, you know, just because communism in space. <laughs> it, it's just like you know they should be allowed to pollute for another thirty years. Because they're still a developing country. That is the logic they apply to China's version of the Paris Accord. How they they get to they get to keep polluting more and more as much as they want until twenty thirty. Yeah, it's only fair. Yeah, I mean, I I think. Are you just trying to keep China down? You're right. That's that's what I've been doing the the whole time on this show. It's it is surprisingly easy to make these arguments. You can problematize anything, really. Yeah, uh, I mean, just look at the the whole population the population crisis that they're going through. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Chinese Communist Party, they were supposed to release their census, their 10-year census, like last month, and they never did. And Financial Times reported that the reason was that there was a problem that the census showed that the population fell mm -hmm. for the first time. Were since, they okay? Uh, yeah, they, they only fell 100 feet, not <laughs> seven Miles. Well, did you know that for the first part of that fall, you wouldn't be able to breathe, so it would actually be better to fall 100? <laughs> I think it's the other way, but okay. <laughs> anyway. But um, so they they held the census because it was politically sensitive to admit that China's population was Especially declining. Especially because the West was criticizing it because they, they got leaked or something. From yeah, the like the Financial Times, Times um, had a source that told them this. And then... Uh, the census came out this week, this past week, and it was like, whoa, they, it actually grew. It, there was it a little mysterious bump in 2020. Yeah. You know, the year when everything was going great and people could have lots Even of children. Even though the birth rate fell still, somehow the population, oh, the reason they explained it as, well, between 2010 and 2020, those population numbers are just estimates. So, you know, 2020 is the right one. It it doesn't have to match the previous, but they got really uh, like, again, defensive about the idea that there are these, you know, reports going on in the media about China's demographic crisis, their population crisis and how they're getting old too fast. Well, that's it's deeply problematic, this kind of Western reporting. And it's and it's problematic because it's racist against the Chinese people. Because? Uh, because they're saying that their population is declining. It's because the West hates Chinese people. Right. It's basically comes from racism and not from any real statistics because the real statistics are provided by the party. OK, not bad. Shelley, you problematize it. Well, 
this is actually what what the actual and then you is. vote which of them problematized it better this is hua chenyin so this is the chinese foreign ministry spokesperson who was like why are you so focused on china's demographic crisis i mean we have more people than any other developed nation combined so we definitely have enough people wait china's a developed nation i mean it's saying the developed nations are criticizing china yeah, right got it. and so we have more people than all of you and so why don't you talk about the u.s that has an even lower birth rate than china you know the u.s has a lower birth rate so why are you talking about how china has a problem conveniently leaving out the fact that the reason that the low birth rate's not a problem the US for the US is because there's immigration to the US. Also not a huge sex imbalance from- From 100 million forced abortions? Yeah. I think it's more than that. Well- More than 100 million? Well, it's a little unclear because they kind of, the statistics are between forced abortions, sterilizations, and um, yeah, forced abortions. All sorts ster- of kind of, you know, fun things in that in that spectrum. Maybe just those two that like they've prevented something like 300 prevented million births. 300 yeah. million births. Yeah, there's also like killing the daughter when she's born. Right. I mean, I don't know if that counts as preventing a birth then. But Yeah. Well, so anyway, that they've the Communist Party has bragged about, you know, stopping or preventing 100 million births. Some 300 300 million. million. 300 million. Yeah. That's why it's like at a certain point I just can't comprehend the horror they might of, just be making up that statistic too, i know but you just, know but just the horror of like a government uh the communist party like bragging about how much life they have crushed did you know about the hundred childless days thing did i send you this article yeah, yeah you did so this was a translation on of a, a an article that appeared on the chinese internet that was subsequently censored and it was about this county in this one province in China that was falling behind on its popul- like on its family planning goals, basically like too many babies were being born um, for the one child. It wasn't like following the one child policy closely enough. So they got a new party chief that decided that the way they were going to get their numbers right was that for a hundred days, nobody would be allowed to give birth. So they literally rounded up all of the pregnant women in this county, no matter how far along they were, no matter if they were about to give birth, no matter if this was their first child or like they're they're supposed to be allowed to have the kid or not, they just forced abortions on all of them. That's sort of like the nightmare version of socialized medicine. It was just insane. And people talking about like, you know, in this article, there were like witness testimonies of this and you know, it was just horrific. And there's something that happened in like 1991 or something like that. And you're thinking that wasn't that long ago. No, that was 30, 30 years. 30 years. And it's just like, you know, I think we like to think that like, oh, the Communist Party was different after Mao died or something like that. Like they were done with all of these like crazy mass campaigns. And nope. Yeah. I mean, also like forced sterilization continues today in 2021 if you're an ethnic Uyghur woman in Xinjiang. And forced abortions. So the census showed births in Xinjiang have fallen 50%. Like an incredible rate, yeah. That's... This is the kind of stuff people people need to, to understand about China. They need to learn these horrible things. Yeah, I actually think that what would be helpful for us is for people to tell us like what are things that 
you know, your friends and family don't know about China that you think that they, you know, I think something that happens to us because we're so specialized, we talk about this all the time. We forget that people don't know about certain things, right? Yeah. And so when somebody asks about like gutter oil or the one child policy, I'm like, oh, wait, we need to go back to like Chinese Communist Party 101. Yeah. Like if if you start off a conversation with China's at war with the United States and it's like, what? They don't they just don't have the background for that. So but, what you're saying and you're is like you should the crazy start guy? with 300 million forced abortions. Have you heard about the 100 days no births? <laughs> this has uh. been a great date, by the way. <laughs> So do you yeah. want to have kids someday? <laughs> I'm sorry about your dating life. I'll always have China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a long relationship you've had. China yeah. Uncensored going on, what, eight years now? It'll be, this fall, it'll be nine years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, and uh, I remember thinking earlier on that, like, you know, we, it won't be that long. Until until the party collapses or something. Well, I mean, when I began the show, and I think it was like November 2012, I thought really the show will only be around another month until the uh, Mayan calendar reaches 2012. <laughs> and then, but so this was not supposed to go on this long. I am sorry. <laughs> You're like, I only have a month left. What should I do? Start a YouTube channel what about China. <laughs> Uh, it um, made sense to me. Uh-huh. Well, I thought you were going to say 2012 because that was a very unstable year for the Chinese Communist Party. That's true. It was. So, so I remember thinking in 2012 that like, oh, my, man, like this might all collapse. Maybe. But they got it together. Xi Jinping got it together. Great uh, helmsman. Uh, not him. Another guy. Abraham Lincoln? Wasn't there that poem? Abraham Lincoln, great helmsman. Vampire hunter extraordinaire. You said we were specialized. I have all other knowledge in my brain has atrophied. Like Sherlock Holmes. He was. Uh, oh, right. Because he, like, he, he didn't know the earth oh, went, went around the sun. Because he's like, that's not relevant to my work. Exactly. I'm just like Sherlock Holmes. I feel like he was probably actually just pulling Watson's chain. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Someday, Watson, they will call this a troll. <laughs> <laughs> Because Sherlock Holmes could also see into the future because he was so just, he could see the trends in society. Oh man, somebody should write a Sherlock Holmes pastiche where he's actually like an astrologer, like Sherlock Holmes is Nostradamus or something like that. Hey, <laughs> if you're watching, you've learned how to do a PowerPoint presentation and how to write a best-selling fiction novel. And how to create a dating advice and YouTube that, channel. Honestly, that best-selling fiction novel could get picked up by Netflix or probably the History Channel for, you know, a, like a series. That's the dream, right? Mm hmm Turn into a movie, get into the China market. A lot of money can be made there. By the Chinese companies sponsored by the state. Yeah, it'll be a beautiful future for you. You know, it, it, uh, it, it's a good gig while it lasts, the, the uh, trick is to time it so that you ex exit before they kick you out. Like all the Western companies that have succeeded in exiting at the right time. No, everybody's terrible. <laughs> they at they that. all like, stay because they're all greedy. Or like Tesla. Like it seems like they're pulling out now after they've been screwed. So it's like, we told you, Elon, we told you. This is the problem when he doesn't watch our show.
you know, the thing about electrical car manufacturing, we should probably do an episode about this too, is that like now that the US government is trying to kind of go on this electrical car thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, China is trying to take over the electrical car market. Right. Like well, they're trying to take over electrical car manufacturing. It's the batteries actually I'm more concerned about, which is that that in part because of technology ripped off of Tesla, in part other US technology ripped off, China in a few years is going to dominate the electric battery market. And so even if you have made in America things, it'll be Chinese batteries. And then like this whole push for, you know, you know, green and renewables. And like, there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of that. But if your products are manufactured in China, it creates a whole cascade of other problems, including major pollution, because a lot of times the way that those batteries are you know, created in factories is is polluting, polluting the water, polluting the soil, made with coal power that's, re, uh, you know, releasing CO2 emissions. Uh, a lot of the components are made in dangerous, dirty conditions. Some of the rare earths are, you know, mined through quasi-slave labor, just like this whole host of like horrible environmental and human problems uh, that all are like hidden behind this, you know, this beautiful finished battery that you buy from China to support America's green energy goals. Well, also what happens is, you know, tensions heat up between China and the U.S. Hey, they cut off the battery market. Right. You're dependent on that. Right. So, I mean, honestly, like if we just make things in America, we'll be safer economically, safer politically, and it'll actually in net be greener for the environment, because at least things will be made here according to American safety standards. I mean, I honestly thought this was something that we were going to learn after the coronavirus. Like the whole, you know, hey, all of these medical supplies are manufactured in China. Maybe that's not such a good idea when suddenly we can't get N95 masks and all this stuff. But I feel like maybe we're just going to forget about all this because people aren't going to want to remember. Have we not talked about how stupid we all are? That's true. Stupid. We are stupid. Obviously not the three of us. And all of you. So, thank you, everyone. And this podcast is sponsored by Drake Illusion. Drake Illusion ERP system makes it possible to manage all areas of your business. It can replace QuickBooks and do so much more, from automating tasks to software development as needed. It's a cloud-based enterprise resource planning system, that allows you to have business-to-business communication. It helps you manage multiple e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers from one centralized software. It helps you serve shoppers across all your sales channels from one solution. It's an all-in-one platform for your small or mid-sized company. Drake Illusion offers a solution that grows with your business. And now Drake Illusion is offering up to 60% off for new clients. If you run a small or mid-sized business, Drake Illusion could be the perfect solution to save you time and energy managing your company. For more info, go to drakeillusion.com slash ERP. The link is below. Once again, I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Jung. And I'm Matt Kanesta. And would you rather fall 100 feet or 7 miles? Why did we have to go back there? Shelley is now in perpetual terror. (laughs) See you next time.